0: Hi, my name is Mattia Murray and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome to Episode 2 of The Longer Road. Today, we're going to be talking about what trauma is. Some of this may be new to you, and at the same time, I am sure that some of it will resonate with you if you are part of my target audience of people with multiple marginalized identities. For example, every autistic person I know has experienced trauma. What does that mean? It means that you experienced something that was too much for your nervous system to handle at that time. So, if you're a child in particular, and if you're a child who is experiencing frequent sensory overwhelm as an autistic kid or being forced to do things that you really don't want to do, which again happens frequently to autistic kids, something that might not seem traumatizing to a neurotypical person might have been traumatizing to an autistic child because it was too much for their nervous system to handle at the time. So, that's the working definition I'm using today. Trauma is something that was too much for your nervous system to handle at the time and that your body internalized and remembered as something that was traumatic. So it was too much for you to handle at the time and your body said, we want to make sure this doesn't happen again. So we're going to store this away in the body, not just in the brain. This is not just a conscious thing. It's also information being stored in your body, which is what leads to One of the effects of trauma that is the most culturally known and understood, flashbacks. And before I dive into that, I actually want to take a step back and talk about the history of trauma a bit. And also, just so you know, for today, this is coming from both a personal interest in trauma that I've had, also my own having been in therapy for 15 years plus, and I am also in a year long trauma education program right now that's geared toward therapists and other professionals. And I'm taking it as a layperson, and it's informing all of the work that I do because in my mind, being trauma informed and understanding trauma and how it works in the body helps me be a better teacher, a better coach, and honestly a better artist and composer as well. Since a lot of my artistic work is about intense emotional expression to put it lightly, and catharsis and uh, feeling the body. But that's just a little bit about my interest in trauma and why I've been studying this so much. My goal today is to talk about it in very direct and simple terms and not dive into a bunch of brain science or really specific jargon that may not be particularly helpful. In future episodes, I would like to do deeper dives into different elements of this. So you've probably heard about post traumatic stress disorder which as far as i know was a diagnosis that came out of originally shell shock in world war 1 soldiers. So because trauma as it was being discussed and i discovered is not the right word but you know being talked about and codified in the early 20th century a lot of the focus was on military and soldiers. And one of the things that happened is that soldiers were coming back and they were reporting a wide variety of symptoms. And partly because of cultural bias and partly because of the way that the people involved with this wanted everyone else to view the military, they actually were not reporting all of the symptoms that the soldiers were actually complaining about. And the focus really became on individual traumatic events instead of the emotional and spiritual and relational problems that they were reporting after getting back. So as PTSD and trauma were being codified, they were really being talked about in terms of individual traumatic events. And that is how I learned about trauma. As a kid, when I heard about it, I thought it was you were in an accident, you had someone close to you die, you witnessed a traumatic event or something happened directly to you. I did not hear people talking about complex developmental trauma, repeated events, etc. And it actually wasn't until well into my adulthood when I came across the term complex PTSD, which is when you've been trapped in a situation of abuse long-term and not able to get out, not able to reach safety. So that still could be acute abuse that anyone would recognize as potentially a trauma-inducing situation, but it can also be, I don't want to say lower level because that's actually not accurate in terms of how people experience it, but things that you might have been told to get over, like neglect or verbal abuse, things outside of the really acute physical and sexual violence, for example. And where these topics interact and become really interesting in my mind is that children are actually remarkably resilient if they have viewed a traumatic event, if something has directly happened to them, such as an accident, even examples such as being in the building during the 9-11 attacks, etc. Really large traumatic events. Children can actually process and do really well with under one circumstance exactly, which is that they have an emotionally present and caring caregiver. Typically a parent doesn't have to be, and it doesn't have to be both parents. So it doesn't have to be a perfect situation, but having that one stable, safe adult in their life can actually help children overcome a massive amount of trauma and traumatic events without it even becoming trauma. Because again, going back to that original definition, it's not actually too much. For their nervous system, as long as they have that support, they know they have a safe place to come back to, they have an adult that's reflecting back to them, this is not your fault, this is not about you. And without that, without that stable, safe adult, even smaller incidences can become much more traumatic. As a personal example, when I sort of came out about my parents' abuse and my childhood, which was in 2014 that I came out, Uh, Talking about it more publicly. I had a number of older extended family members, aunts and uncles, the older generation, and even a generation above that, reaching out to me to essentially tell me to get over it and that it wasn't that bad. And as I've learned more about trauma, I've realized that from their perspective, that really made sense because they only thought about trauma in terms of these major traumatic events. Which, to be fair, I did also experience on occasion in my childhood, which was not public knowledge, and that's what I was talking about. But since then, as I've learned more, I've realized it was actually really the day-to-day unsafety, the not having a safe adult to rely on, knowing that I might be punished for bringing up my needs at all, and not feeling like there was anyone to talk to about it. That was actually more damaging to me than the acute abuse. And part of the reason that I have been okay is that I was very close with my maternal grandmother, who was very supportive of me, and she lived with us on occasion for a few months at a time. So even though she wasn't around all the time, she was able to be a supportive emotional presence in my life, and she stood up for me and protected me when she was there. So every year or two, I had this bolstering support from my grandmother And we would write letters back and forth very regularly throughout the rest of her life. So in traumatic situations, in situations where kids don't have that support, they will seek out that stable, supportive adult if they can. You may have done this with a teacher, someone at church, another family member, a neighbor. It really could have been anyone who responded to you in a way that was respectful and made sense to you. One of the things we talk about in trauma is it's not just what happened to you that shouldn't have happened, it's what didn't happen that should have happened. It's neglect, it's the lack of support when you should have had support, it's when you spoke out about your story and were told not to talk about it or not taken seriously. And again, with the traditional focus on major traumatic events instead of neglect and these ongoing complex developmental traumas is that if your childhood was not obviously overtly abusive, but you experienced neglect and you experienced not receiving this support and love that you should have had, it can be very difficult to even process what exactly you're missing and then have that be taken seriously. So certainly if you were to talk to a therapist about this, they would know about this. They would talk to you and support you around this. But if you talk to a friend or another family member, and a really common experience is if you and a sibling had very different experiences growing up, which is common, you might have a sibling who is totally fine with how your childhood went and doesn't see a problem with it and doesn't understand why you didn't get what you needed. So you might try to talk about this experience or this feeling of not being close to whoever your guardian was, who you weren't getting this from. And you might have a friend or family member essentially not know what you're talking about and say you had the basics, we don't understand why this wasn't enough for you. So one of the main things I want to share around this is that it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter why you didn't get enough and had a traumatizing experience of neglect if you did. There is nothing wrong with you, you are not broken, even if you have a sibling or close family member who doesn't understand what you're talking about and thinks that your childhood was fine. This is about not only the experiences that you had, but how they interacted with your nervous system at the time. And if you are neurodivergent, or if you have underlying anxiety or depression or other mental health needs, or any other of these intersecting identities that we're talking about, you may have needed a level of support and care that you were not receiving, and that is not your fault. And even if other people are giving you the message that what you received was enough, if that's not true for you, that's okay. And you can move forward with that knowledge within yourself and seek support and care and healing for that lack. You don't need outside approval to tell you that something is wrong and that you want help for it. That said, if this is hitting home for you and you've never had therapy or a good therapeutic relationship, Therapy can be a really great way to explore this, but fun fact about complex PTSD, one of our biggest issues with it is developing trusting relationships with authority figures, and therapists can be a part of that. I really struggled to develop trusting relationships with therapists for a long time, and my instinct was to lie to them, not necessarily in any huge ways, but to pretend to be okay. And they were reflecting back to me that I was, quote, a good patient. And then I felt like I needed to be a good patient. So I would try to present essentially as healthier than I was actually feeling. And then add to that, that I was used to just taking care of myself and meeting my own needs and not having a lot of support. I was really not showing up to therapy in an open, trusting mindset, just ready to go. And probably the first decade of therapy for me was essentially about building these trusting relationships and getting to the point where I could actually open up in a meaningful way in that relationship. So if you've tried therapy and thought, eh, it's not for me, it might be that you have not been able to create this trusting bond with therapist. And it's very common to need to try multiple therapists before you find someone that's a really good fit And that can be a really frustrating process as well. I know the intake process can be overwhelming. And if you have executive function issues, it can be difficult to find providers, make the phone calls, show up to the appointment, continue to do this if it feels like it's not really working. But if you do find a great therapist and have a good trusting relationship with them, especially if you can work with them long term, several years... It can be a really excellent place to dive into and really discover and process developmental trauma, especially the neglect kind. You can talk to anyone about a violent incident and most of the time they will agree with you that shouldn't have happened and they will empathize with you and listen to you. But it can be very difficult to talk about this broader systemic abuse. And again, I've been talking about childhood abuse and neglect, mostly from a guardian perspective. But also there are so many other people that can be abusive in your life. And for example, black and brown and indigenous people in the United States are constantly being traumatized and re-traumatized. Fat people are constantly being traumatized and re-traumatized. Disabled people are being traumatized and re-traumatized. There are so many ways of simply existing visibly in America that cause you to be re-traumatized on a regular basis. And I remember when people started talking about microaggressions as a way to describe what was happening in grocery stores and in these small interactions. And I'm happy that we're moving past that and just calling them aggressions because that's what they are. And over the course of someone's lifetime, you know, by the time they hit puberty, Black and Brown and Indigenous kids in the U.S. know what is up and what they're facing. So this is to say, it's pretty likely that anyone who identifies with this podcast and wants to listen to it has experienced some level of trauma. It may not have settled into your body as trauma if you had those loving, supportive adult presences in your life to help you process things. But even so, remember that what we're talking about is something that was too much for your nervous system to handle at the time. And if you experience consistent trauma It is very common to forget either because you dissociated while it was happening in order to protect yourself, meaning your brain sort of left the situation and was not engaging and paying attention because it was safer for you to be essentially outside of your body or because you just forgot. I know I personally forgot huge swaths of my childhood, and it wasn't until I came out and started talking about it and my siblings and I started discussing it as a group that I started to remember more of my childhood and put the pieces together. And just in case you remember people talking about false memories in the 90s, it's actually very, very difficult to implant true, detailed memories of abuse in children. Meaning, if you remember something and you're pretty sure that it happened, there is a very, very high likelihood that it happened or something similar to it. And at the same time, I distrust my own memories. And I'm glad I was such an avid journaler as a child and I wrote so many things down because I look back at those old journals and know that those things actually happened. So briefly, what does trauma look like once it's in the body? Once you've had that event or series of events that was too much for your nervous system to handle at the time, how does it show up now? Flashbacks and emotional flashbacks are two of the ways that it shows up. So flashbacks are when you literally remember, are kind of pushed back into the situation where it feels like you're back in that situation. You may have images, sounds, things come into your mind that remind you of and really put you back in that place. Emotional flashbacks are something I learned about with complex PTSD when I first started learning about that, and you don't have the visual and audio components of a flashback. An emotional flashback is essentially being put into the feeling that you had during that trauma. And this has been one of my main symptoms. And I often don't recognize that that's what's happened until well after the fact. So I may be in a conversation and someone, for example, yells at me or There's a loud noise behind me or someone touches me from behind. These are some of my triggers for emotional flashbacks. And I don't necessarily remember a specific thing. I just go into fight, flight, or freeze. For me, usually freeze. My nervous system is put into an elevated state. And essentially what's happening is I'm remembering how I used to feel when I was in these traumatized situations. And this can last for quite a while. You can be in this elevated or agitated state for quite a while. And if you find yourself in this place often, there is a good chance that your body is responding to some trauma. And also just to really quickly go over the fight, flight, freeze, you may have heard fawn, which is a social response to try to just placate the person that you're talking to. Those are all signs of an agitated or kind of up nervous system. And then the other side of it that can happen is a total flop into essentially playing dead. If you've ever seen an animal play dead in order to not be actually eaten, that's sort of the opposite side of the fight, flight, freeze, fawn nervous system response is that you can go into what feels like just a deep, deep depression response where it feels very difficult to respond and speak and be active at all. Another way you might see trauma coming up for you is if you feel like you're doing things that just don't feel like you. Do you feel like your body is essentially responding without you? And for some people this happens with anger, but it can be any kind of impulsivity where you feel like your body is just sort of taking over and doing things without you and you're just along for the ride. I was thinking of titling this episode, so is it trauma or what? Because I feel like the answer is so often just Yes, yes, it is trauma. That is what we're finding when we're digging down into so many of these issues. And next week, I'm going to go more into the, and what do we do about it now? For now, what I really want you to know and take away is that even if you didn't have any major traumatic events to look back on, you still could have experienced something that was too much for your nervous system at that time. And it could be stored in your body, especially if you did not have that stable, loving adult figure. And that even if you've never considered yourself to have experienced trauma, if you're experiencing any of those symptoms that we talked about, there's nothing wrong with you. This is extremely common. It's estimated that up to half of children in the U.S. witness a traumatic event during their life. And we know that abuse and neglect are incredibly common in childhood, even if it is no fault of the guardian figure whatsoever. This can also just be due to poverty and racism, and other structural issues. And you can still have a lot of love and compassion and recognize that what happened was not okay. So this is not about labeling anyone as bad or evil for doing these things. Trauma is also really an evolving field. There's a lot of really cool research being done right now. So I'm always going to be trying to bring in some new research as I dive into some of these elements more in other episodes. For now, I just wanted to have this really basic overview and talk about how common this is, how common trauma is, how common these responses are. And next week, I'm going to start diving into a bunch of the different ways that work for people to improve these things and get better. And I'll just say from my own perspective, my goal personally is not a hundred percent healing and just totally being excited and positive all the time. I think it's very possible to become much happier and much more functional and still make peace with the brain that you have, the body that you have, and potentially the long-term effects of the trauma, because complex developmental trauma during childhood does affect your brain and how your brain grows and develops. So my goal for myself is to know myself better and ultimately accept who I am, and not feel like I have to reach some pinnacle of perfect healing in order to love and accept myself. That is very much what I wish for you as well, and if you would like to for a moment, I welcome you to put your hand on your heart, and know that I'm sending love to you right now. I'm so grateful that you're here, I'm grateful to be a part of your journey, and I love you. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.